0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hello, how are you doing today? Uh, I don't know what's more surprising that it's going to be 92 degrees today or that the Celtics have brought it to game seven. Oh boy oh boy so good. Um, listen, my name is Nate and I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church and so glad that we get to be together on this Memorial Day uh, weekend to uh, to preach the Bible, to open up God's word to learn to grow to uh, to let the word change us and to, here, let me take off my name tag, and I, I didn't need to introduce myself, to, to have that opportunity to share Jesus and to talk about everything that he uh, is doing in our life and in our church. Uh, one thing for you to note, uh, restoration, recovery, we've talked about that a lot, uh, we're, you know Hopefully, first week of July, beginning of July, we'll be opening on that. Still need, um, as far as I'm aware, because I haven't checked over the weekend, but uh, we need a few more beds. We need all the mattresses purchased. So there is a registry for that that um, that helps us to track what still remains and helps you not to do a double purchase. And uh, the construction crews, been, they've been volunteering and serving like crazy uh, every weekend and during the weekdays, and we appreciate all of... The the building companies and builders in our church have been volunteering their time. You are amazing. Um, so anyway, that's happening. So you can give the Kingdom Builders to help with that project. You can buy on the registry, or you can, if you're a, a tradesman, a skilled worker, uh, you can help the construction crews in this process. And then, uh, if you can't do that, but you can assemble furniture, stay tuned. We'll let you know when you can show up to do that. Well, today is. Pentecost Sunday and it's um, it's, it's uh, really just a Christian moment a Christian holiday uh, it's something that we as a church talk about and remember and, um, and and celebrate and are thankful for and for those of you who aren't familiar with it every uh, every Easter we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and what we find out in Scripture is that fifty days after Jesus, um, after his resurrection, 10 days after he returned to heaven, he had made a promise. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. It's better for you that I don't stay because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and, uh, and, and it's gonna absolutely change uh, your understanding of the Father. And, uh, and, and so 50 days after that resurrection, that day of Pentecost happened and the, the Holy Spirit showed up he baptized those 120 believers who were gathered together. He baptized them with fire. They spoke in tongues, and the church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people in a matter of minutes. It just was boom, or as they used to say in NBA Jam, boom, shakalaka. It was <laughs> unbelievable. And we are a church church that knows that you can experience something similar, that there is a baptism that the Holy Spirit, uh, that he he continues to do, that you can read through scripture, that it happens throughout. But for you, depending on your church background and depending on, 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 on what you know about scripture, what you've been taught, I want you to say this. I want to teach you this. Open the Bible. Read it. And then just say a simple prayer to God. God, if this is something you want me to experience, I'm I'm open to experiencing it. And pray that prayer. Pray that prayer for the rest of your life. And not just about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but on anything that is in scripture that God says you can have or that he wants to give you. Uh, Just receive and be open to taking and, and enjoying and getting everything that God has for you, So we're a church that believes that, that the, the Spirit has a baptism for you, that you can receive a prayer language, and that you can be empowered by him to accomplish more for the kingdom than you ever thought possible. And that is why we remember and we calendar and talk through Pentecost Sunday. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6. Because as as we're going to look through this scripture today, we're in this series called We Are Restoration. And last week, Pastor Travis talked about the relationship we have with each other, but also the relationship our church has with other churches. And we're part of a group of churches that are internationally uh, known as the Assembly of God. And so there's over 13,000 Assembly of God churches in the uh, in the in the United States, and we are all very, very different. There are some that look like us, and there are, are some that look like, um, like, uh, like a scene from Little House on the Prairie. Not to denigrate, but just trying to show like the huge contrast between the styles of service. For example, um, the Bethlehem uh, there was a church in Bethlehem that closed. Uh, last year, and so we reopened it on Easter as Restoration Church, the, the church that was there previous, uh, they, didn't have, uh, they, they didn't have a projector, they, they, they didn't have um, at all, so they didn't show videos or do anything like that, uh, they had an overhead projector, uh, and they used that, t- actually they weren't even using that the last few years, but they, they, they were not a church that used technology and we are, and so it doesn't make us better than them or or worse, but there are so many differences within our group. So he talked about that and and the great blessing from that and and really the need for that for us as a church to be connected with other churches and for us as individuals to be connected to other people within our church. Today, as as I continue this series, We Are Restoration, teaching some things we've never taught on before, helping you understand Restoration Church in a way that may bore you to death. We'll find out here by the end of it. Um, but to help you know who we are, why we do what we do, what we're doing. And, and a big, the big idea for today's message as we talk through this is we must change for the gospel. Now, certainly there's an individual component here, but talking about us as a church And talking about the church really internationally is something that we've got to really think through. We must change for the gospel. So that's what we're going to be looking at here in this scripture in Acts chapter 6. Now, I think there's something I was going to say before I started reading this. Um, I guess not. Let's begin to read. Acts chapter 6, verse number 1. But it says, uh, as the believers rapidly multiplied. And so that's what I wanted to say. Let me stop right there. Thank you, Scripture, for reminding me. Day of Pentecost, 3,120 believers instantaneously. The church grew every single day. And, And I've said this before, and no one's ever told me I was wrong. I'll keep saying it. The church has grown every day since then. There's not been one day where there's been less believers uh, uh, at the end of the week than there was at the beginning of their week. There's never been a day when there's been less believers on Monday than there was on Sunday. The church has continued to increase every day, no matter who is trying to persecute it, no matter who is losing their lives for, for preaching the gospel, no matter what intimidation, what peer pressure, what cost there was, the church has always been growing. So we get the day of Pentecost. Sometime later, we're not sure, we have this passage in Acts chapter 6. It is continuing to grow. So it went from 3,120 to in a short time, it was a hundred thousand Christians in like a 30 to 40 year span. From 120 to over a hundred thousand in just a short window of time. It's growing rapidly. But, and and because of that, there were now rumblings of discontent. So the church is growing and the people being discontent. It wasn't wasn't Nero. It wasn't... um, This rumblings of discontent was happening from within now this newly formed church. We can think back with, you know, you hear people talk about, you know, we need to get back to the New Testament. We need to be a New Testament church and it needs to be like the early church. And I, I think a lot of those things are true, but sometimes we talk about it. Like you talk about your sports career and you're forgetting all your errors and you're forgetting that there was a lot of problems there too. There is not a collection of local believers known as the church that is perfect. There will Never be one that's perfect, and our goal is not to be perfect, but our goal is to be like Jesus and to be obedient to Jesus, and that's what we're striving after. Not that every single person in the church has all of their needs met. I am not your father. I am not your mama, all right? Uh, I, what I'm trying to do is help you to become like Jesus, and, and that's what, what I've been called to do. And that's what we've been called to do as a church, or one of the things we've been called to do. So here's the discontent. Here's the rumblings. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So a, a, a little bit of background here. What we know about the early church is that everybody was selling and participating they were all pooling their money together to care for each other again depending on when this was written there's a time of increased persecution or a time of severe persecution and and so they're caring for each other because when they're deciding to follow Jesus they're losing jobs they're losing income they could be losing families and they're beginning to learn how to care for and love for each other and now we've got this problem Depending on your Bible translation, it could talk about the uh, it could talk about the Hellenistic Jews. So the 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 Hellenistic Jews began to complain that the uh, that the Hebrew speaking Jews were discriminating against the Greek speaking Jews. So we've got now the church has. Grown has grown rapidly, and now they're reaching all kinds of different people. They're reaching young people because we know some of the disciples, they're teenagers, but we also know that they're reaching widows, so they're reaching some people who are, are, are much older in age, and the there was a natural bias that they had against each other. Those who were Hebrew speaking and remained around Jerusalem. They may not openly say it, but they probably thought of themselves a little bit better than the Jews who moved and moved away from Jerusalem, were living in near Greece. They were speaking another language. They were dressing differently. And there was now probably some tension between them. The discrimination could have been true. We don't know that. But what we do know is... They begin to get upset about it, and it wasn't even the widows complaining. It was just those who were like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" It's like kids at the uh, kids um, at the dinner table, or kids when you're scooping out ice cream. Like you gave them two, you only gave me one, and and they're and they're pointing out, and they're they're getting upset. So, what the first thing that we see here in the scriptures? We walk through this churches growing rapidly. It's multiplying, but now there's discontent. Now there's some problems. Listen, we've understand this. Growth brings complexity. It always does. If you're going to grow... Uh, I talked about this one time. Uh, one of my personal heroes was a guy named Stanley Tam. And uh, I believe someone in the room... I mentioned, I mentioned his name at least once a year. Someone in the rooms met him before I heard him speak. But Stanley Tam at one point said, I'm not going to earn any more money. All the additional money I earn, I'm going to give away. And he capped his salary. And over the next course of his life, him and his wife gave away over $128 million by the time I heard him talk. Now, by the time he died, they've given away way more than that. We think about, oh man, if I had $128 million, I'd give it away. And we have no idea the complexity it takes to be able to manage that money and not have it destroy your heart and destroy your family. So growth brings complexity. Your business grows, awesome. It's going to be more complex. Your, uh, your family grows, awesome. It's going to be more complex. It just is something that naturally happens. So growth is bringing complexity because it's bringing together differences. We've got people with, with different uh, experiences growing up, different understanding of, of what Scripture allows. They're even reading different Bibles because the Greek... Uh, speaking Jews are, are reading the Septuagint, which is a translation of the Bible that was translated into Greek. And you've got another group of believers who probably think that's not okay. And how do we know that? Because one time the Bible was translate, translated into English in the 1600s. And there are some people today in the 2020s who still think we have to read that Bible in order to be spiritual. And that's the King James Bible. And so if you're translating it from the original Hebrew language into Greek, I would think that's even more dangerous than ch- changing it from English to English. <laughs> so now got problems, complexity, and problems they've never seen before they don't know how to deal with. And here's a question for you, a rhetorical question, because I don't want you to answer it wrong. But is the solution to not grow. Should the early church have said, wait a minute, we're growing rapidly. There's so many Christians. We've got to stop. We can't handle this growth. Please stop sharing your faith. Please stop telling people about Jesus. Let's rebrand the good news to just like regular news. Like let's stop telling everybody about the good news of Jesus because we can't handle all this growth. Certainly you hear... That that could never be an option, because to choose not to grow, to deliberately say we are not going to grow anymore, would be disobedient to Jesus's great commission. So go back to that day while Jesus was still on earth. He's resurrected, but he's not yet left. And he says to the disciples. He says to Christians. He says to Restoration Church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He didn't have a cap on that. Do it, do it, do it. This is what I've come for. This is what you're called to do. Your primary earthly responsibility now is to share my good news, help people to be like me, help people to follow me, help people to live the life that's honoring and pleasing to my Father, this is now your assignment. Guess what, this is now your assignment. He's given that to you. He's calling every single one of us. So we gather together on Sunday mornings, we worship, we preach, we gather during different times of the week studying the Bible together. Those things are necessary, but all those things still are connected to our primary earthly responsibility reaching jesus so churches must choose every church faces this we face this um it's a continual pull intention and temptation to just be comfortable and to choose not to reach more people and we have to choose every church must choose would you rather grow or die And even in your spiritual life, it's a choice you make. Would I rather continue to grow spiritually? If you're not deliberately growing spiritually, you are wilting away. Sadly, there are many churches choosing death. Not all, I would say not even all know it because there was a decision that was made 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but they've had money in the bank account to keep having services, but at some point, the decision was made. And there are over 300, just a little over 300,000 churches, Christian churches in the United States. And uh, many, I've shared this before, but there are many estimating that in the next few years, one third of the Christian churches in the United States will close. That's 100,000 churches in the next few years closing. And those churches are gonna close and become apartments, homes, bars, music venues, Movie theaters, um, and instead of being outposts for the good news. The tendency, and this is kind of, uh, the, I'm going to put it on the screen here because what I'm going to say is, it sounds kind of stupid. But our tendency as church people and as Christians is, we want it about me, not about ye. So ye is those out there. We want it about me, not about ye. That's so good. It's like, yeet, right? (laughs) We want it about me, not about me. Rather than, and and this is our always, always, always our tension. Every time we accomplish something, our tendency is, that's enough, right? We're good. We're settled. We're still. And we can look around and say, are we in heaven yet? The answer's no. I'm glad you had to think about it. The answer's no. like, the renovation's really nice. Um, We're not in heaven yet. That means we are not done yet. And sometimes because we want it about me and not about ye, we're thinking about what I want, what I need. How much food am I getting? And we're not thinking about the others in the room, and especially we're not thinking about those outside of the room. That that can really really take away from, from each other and most importantly, take away from ourselves. And when we have, when we're thinking like this, rather than dig into a community that is growing and making mistakes, we decide to bail out and find a church that meets my needs. And, and I think one of the sad things that I've noticed um, uh, is... Uh, I'm trying to think of an example that won't get me in trouble um, one of the things that I've noticed is if I've had a conversation with the church that's about to close and a number of years ago we had a conversation with a church in Maine that was gonna close There were I mean there was uh, I think 11 people left one person under the age of 30 left and so the conversation was you know we don't have to merge we could merge here's what it would look like if it would merge and beginning to have that conversation, they were open for it, they were open to it, but then there was a conversation of, we, you know, we'd have to sell the building, that would be one of the things we'd have to do, and it was, we can't sell the building, and the conversation ended. Because it becomes about, well, I hung that drywall, I, and, and I've said this over and over, we purchased this building in 2016, it is a tool, for preaching the gospel. It's nice to have air conditioning when it's 92 degrees outside. It is a tool. It's nice to have heat when it's zero degrees outside. It's a tool. There is nothing holy about this building except for the fact that we're here and we've dedicated for God's purposes. But we don't want church buildings to close like if we want church buildings to be upgraded we don't want it. like the gospel witness to disappear in a community so someday if we ever sold this building it would be because we have an opportunity to reach more people somewhere else uh you know or in another way or we you know it's not like we can't hold on to buildings because it's a building so if i had spray paint i'd spray paint the wall somewhere (laughs) thankfully i don't so Here's the principle, right? John 3.30, let me paraphrase this. Jesus said, I must decrease, he must increase. Same philosophy for, for us. I didn't put this on the screen. Less of me, more of thee, to reach the ye. All right, you remember that? You get that tattooed right down your arm. He must increase. I must decrease, he must increase. Why? So the kingdom's increased. Less of me, more of thee, to reach the ye. I'm going to write a song about that. All right, listen. Verse number two. I get a roll here. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And this, if I said this to you, you'd be offended. All right. Um, And um, I, I, let me tell you a story. This one's old, but this one's true. So about 10 years ago, I'm newly pastor of Restoration Church. Someone's moving. They asked me to come help them move. I say, I'm not available to come help you move your house. So they quit the church. That's a true story. There's not more to the story than that. And, and it would be, listen, I ha- I've got I've to spend time teaching, praying, leading, not moving. I do that enough on my own. <laughs> so we, listen, we can't do this. We can't run a food program and do everything else that additionally that God's calling us to do. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Are they pawning off what they should be doing? Are they pawning off their calling? No, certainly that's not what's happening. Then it says, then we the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And then this is where the critic says, must be nice, well you must be nice, I wish I could do that with my job. Well you can, you can, and we will train you and you can become a location pastor and, and you can do that. Uh, but we've all got to fulfill our calling. And I will tell you this, um, this does not mean that these guys were lazy. They're traveling all over the world and uh, they are leading people is complex. They're making decisions that are hard and not easy. So listen, we read this scripture. Here's the first, here's the next thing we notice. Leadership must shift. In church, this happens through denominations when the Assemblies of God started 100 years ago and it was 100 people in Arkansas. A little bit different now when it's 13,000 churches. The leadership's different. The structure is different. The way things organized are different. And um, John Maxwell wrote a book called Leader Shift. And in that, he says this, if you wanna be an effective leader, you must leader shift. You cannot be the same, think the same, and act the same if you hope to be successful in a world that does not remain the same. And we've, I I, I don't remember when I talked about this last year, but there was a time when the world was changing every 20 years, and we're getting close to it changing every 12 minutes. I mean, it is happening so fast, and we uh, it, it does not take you long to be left behind, It does not take you long at all to, to just not even know how to check your voicemail because they don't even use voicemail anymore. It does not take you long to be left behind. And as a church, we've got to remember who we're trying to reach and we've got to continually think and change and adjust how we are able to reach those people. A few weeks ago, we talked about, uh, as a homework assignment, reading in the hands, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, the Jonathan Edwards sermon. Uh, when he preached that sermon, people were clinging onto their chairs because they, were, they thought they were going to fall into hell. All right? It, it, the, the imagery and the word language of that, if we begin to preach that same language, you would think like, wow, that's so cool. That should be a ride at Universal. It, because what we've seen and witnessed and how we respond, we just, uh, we, it's different. How everything is so much, it is so different. Christianity, Christianity and the world, the message is 100% the same, but it is so different. The world is so different than it was 2,000 years ago. And the world is so different than it was 20 years ago. The, the complexities I dealt with as, um, as a teenager and a young adult serving the Lord, trying to live a Christian life, are so vastly different than the complexities my teenage boys are living through with their own life. So different. And we can just put our head in the if it was good for me, it's good for them. And, and just say... I essentially say it's about me not about ye stinky teenagers so we must always be learning always shifting always reaching roles shift and change this is hard the disciples role was their roles were shifting and changing those who are stepping into new leadership their roles are shifting and changing this is hard. This is why one of our core values is heritage. One day, we will hand this ministry off to the kids in the nursery, to those babies in there who don't even know how to use a toilet. We're gonna trust them with our entire organization. And if this is not for our own retirement. This is not so then we can disengage from the Great Commission, disengage from church, let everybody else do everything else. But. It is to allow them to take the reins and to lead us, to allow them to now reach the generations after them. And I gotta say this, and you've gotta know this, we never retire from the Great Commission until we're standing in heaven. We never retire from it. So verse number five, everyone liked this idea, imagine that. And so they chose the following. Stephen, who later was the first martyr, he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They chose these, these seven men were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands upon them. They anointed them. You're now leadership. You're now leadership in the church. Leadership must be shared. This is what we've got to know and understand as well. Leadership must be shared. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a month ago, another pastor asked me a question, and I don't think he was trying to, I, I think he was curious, He, he because we, I teach on video, and our pastors, and, and Travis, and our deacon board, when we preach, we preach on video, every location together, and they said, uh, how are you not building this around your own personality, and I said, well, listen, if you met me in private, you recognize I don't have much of a personality, <laughs> that's not what I said, but. I know that's what you're thinking. <laughs> and I said, listen, I only, I only preach between, uh, I only probably preach 35 Sundays a year. And because I'm sharing the stage, I'm sharing the pulpit, not just with, my, with two pastors, but I'm sharing it with a deacon board member, pastors for mother, evangelists, with kids, because it's not a, about me. This is a method we're using to resource and steward our time and money. Um, because it can take ten to twenty hours a week to prepare a sermon, so times that by four locations—that's a lot of man hours to write and prepare sermons. So it's—it's a, it's a strategy we have. It's a stewardship strategy we have, um, and and so that was one thing I said. The the where was I? <laughs> leadership must be shared. We share the pulpit. We share leadership. We share decision making. We share a lot of things throughout our organization. So I'm going to show you a picture that maybe is too much information, um, but it, it, you just tune me out here if this is too boring. But over much of last year, myself and, um, and, and the uh, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Steven, uh, we were working with a mentor, working with coaches to try to figure out how we can move the church forward. There are churches closing in New Hampshire uh, seemingly every week. And we don't want to see that happen. There are churches throughout New Hampshire that no longer believe in the Bible, no longer preach the Bible. We don't want to see that happen. So our prayer has been, God, if you give us the 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 people give us the resources if you trust us we'll we'll do whatever we can in the natural, believing you to do the supernatural. We New Hampshire is the least church state and we're gonna do everything we can, kicking and screaming, to try to change that. To try to see God work in a miraculous supernatural way and bring salvation to hundreds of thousands in New Hampshire. So leadership, so we, we spent a lot of time to help fix some church problems and, and to prepare for more problems. Let's fix the problems we have so we can have different problems in the future. And one of the things that we did was adjust our org chart and we adjusted our model a lot. I don't know how much I'll go into it, but this org chart is the wrong one if you show me the other one. Um, and we, uh, so what happens is this is this is like a, a simplified version of our church myself the deacon board uh, assemblies of God over here too so there's a uh, you, some accountability across here um, if I go off the wire um, if the deacon board goes off the wire and the assemblies of God goes off the wire there's a plurality of people to speak into each other's lives to, to help bring correction to help I tithe uh, I tithe. Oh, I give here at Restoration Church. I also tithe to the assemblies of God, and so they're making sure that I'm tithing. There's another group saying, "Okay, you're telling people to give. Are you giving?" And so my tithe, at 8.5 percent of my 10 percent, goes toward them. The other 1.5 percent comes here, plus my Kingdom Builders. But they're watching that. They're checking my doctrine. They're if I'm, am I sinning? Am I preaching? Am I have I gone crazy? I begin to preach that like Jesus is one of the ways to heaven. Then the digging board, uh, the assemblies there, people help bring correction. Now, we've got location pastors, um, executive administrator, and then they have one of the shifts we made last year is that each of them now has a core four, four core leadership positions that need to be filled at your location. Rewind to a year and a half ago, and these positions were not organized this way. In every location, seemingly had its own leadership team. And so one had a worship guy, one had a facilities. I don't know what the other one was doing, uh, but everybody just did kind of whatever they wanted. And for us to, to communicate better, for us to be more effective, things had to change. This was one of the things, one of the changes we made. Another thing we did is we moved all of our core meetings, all of our most important meetings to Monday nights. So that the, you know, that the person who's serving in this area but has a full-time job, we're having all our meetings on Monday night. Every Monday night is a different meeting. It's a, the lead team meeting, then it's a location team meeting, then it's a departmental team meeting, and then it's another meeting whose name I can't remember at the moment. All staff meeting, yes, where we all get together at one location. And we eat dinner together and we share wins and testimonies and cry and pray and laugh and sing a a horrible version of happy birthday. (laughs) So that's what happened there. And this is the first four key positions that we want every location to have. And so uh, Bethlehem is um, every Bethlehem is the one that's moving the furthest along or it's has less of those positions filled because it just opened in Easter, but that's the plan. Now, because we're multiple locations, this adds complexity and problems and sometimes confusion. And so the second picture, the one I showed you before, is the one that now having multiple locations it brings a layered leadership that now there's essentially like, you've got your org chart, but you've also got your org chart and they work in them, and, and we're all learning how this functions, and uh, over the last few years we've been multiple locations, we've screwed up a lot. And, we, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you openly, like, oh yeah, I remember, this is the big problem we made, and this is the other problem. We, we, no one knows more of the problems in the church than I do. <laughs> no one. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like, Pastor, did you ever consider you are the problem? I have, actually. So what we have, what we assembled uh, in October, November was a lead team. Look at myself and I work with this lead team. So our first Monday night meeting of the month is with these people. Stephen Johnson, pastor in Bethlehem, he's the location pastor lead. Pastor Victoria, next gen pastor in Milton, is the next gen lead. Rob Burgess who's a volunteer here at this location. He's the next-gen person here, uh, next-steps person here. He's the next-steps lead. Aaron Nicholson, who's uh, uh, our executive administrator. She's our administrator lead. And then Jeremy, who's your location pastor here, also can play the xylophone, so that makes him the worship lead. You can play the xylophone and the banjo. You're in. You're in. So... This is our lead team. And what happens is they're not bosses because what ha- this is your over location pass. He leads this team. But these people are providing uh, uh, influence and they're providing direction. So who decides what curriculum we do in kids ministry? Who decides um, what events we attend at, for the youth group? who decides what worship songs we sing and what worship songs to add or what worship songs to delete. Well, these are the influencers making the big picture decisions so these guys can run and care for you and reach the local community. This took us probably six months of talking about and planning. We're about seven or eight months into operating it, still adjusting and changing, to trying to fix some things to make it better. So listen, why all of this? Here, I'm closing it out here. Verse number seven, look at this, don't miss this. They made the change, they made the shift, they shared the leadership. Verse number seven, so God's message continued to spread. That's why. Why are we a multiple location church when it would be easier not to? Why? Did that bug just hit me? What did I say that offended you? What the? Good thing I was wearing safety glasses. These are non-prescription. These are OSHA approved. This is a dangerous profession. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Listen, this was cause and effect. They had a problem there was some discontent had they if they chose to do nothing verse number 7 wouldn't read this way but because they shared leadership because the apostles stayed focused on on what only they could do and what they needed to do god's message continued to spread this is a critical moment in the early church would they cave to complaints Or would they continue on for the kingdom? What would they do? And we've got to know this. At Restoration Church, you've got to know this. The gospel must spread. We can never be focused only on our location, which is a temptation sometimes. Oh, it's nice that they got new carpet. When are we going to get new carpet? Well, Dover, hopefully soon. Honestly, hopefully soon. Well, what about me, what about me, what about me? Heck with ye. We have got to remember the gospel must spread. It must be that great commission. Go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a great commission. It's for every church, it's for every Christian across the whole world, go and make disciples in every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. How do we verbalize that here at Restoration Church? Three words, just one more. Because we're not done. Because we're not done. Because even on our deathbed, it would break our heart. There, there still might be one person we could reach who would miss heaven if we didn't share. Just one more. Jesus, give us the opportunity. Before you come back, get, allow us to bring salvation to another family member, to another friend, to another neighbor, to another community. Jesus, just one more. And we know from Second Peter, that even God is waiting for just one more. When it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should have eternal life. Go forward a few more scriptures. God is not slow, as some consider slowness, but he's patiently waiting for your salvation. He, the Father himself, is waiting for more people to know him before he resets this thing to perfection. Remember, remember how this started, was feeding widows. You would think like, how could that affect the church? How could that affect the good news? But if we make it about us and not about others, we're disobedient to God. And we need to care for each other we need to work with each other. We need to help each other. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to do that, but, it can, but it's always gotta be about others. And for you here in, in the church, listen, there are, there are spots and roles you need to fill. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man full of power, accepted a responsibility to lead the ministry of feeding the widows. What is your spot? What is the area you need to step up in and serve? What is the area you need to help? This morning I was vacuuming and one of the volunteers said, hey, can I do that for you? You know, I don't know, maybe she like vacuuming, but I assume she's thinking, Pastor Nate, you're supposed to get sweaty when you're preaching, not from vacuuming prior to service. So let me help you. Let me let me take, let me do, let me use my, give, let me help my. And so, you know, one of the beautiful things about the sober living home, I haven't been there doing the construction. Not that I won't do it. In Bethlehem, I wasn't there all the time doing the construction. I showed up on the work days with the rest of you and helped serve and work. But for different people with different skills, serving in different areas, who's going to, up and say, "I'm going to serve in the kids ministry." Who's going to step up and say, "I'm going to I'm going to uh, I help with the construction project." Who's going to step up and say, "I'm going to lead a Bible study." I'm going to I'm going to be a part of following Jesus and coaching people. Who's going to move in what part? And you've got to identify for you. Is it about me, or is am I? Is my life about ye, our family? Is it about us, or is it about thus? Is it, uh, it who is it about here? And to find your spot. Let your location pastors, let your leaders anoint you and pray for you and release you to do God's work. And for you to find the great joy in that. And here's what happens. Go back to verse number seven. Here's what happens. The gospel will spread. The good news of Jesus will spread. New Hampshire Hampshire will be reached. Churches will not be closed. Gospel witnesses will remain, and many, who knows how many, three more before he comes back. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's gonna feel like hell outside in a little bit. <laughs> three more until he returns, or 300,000 more until he returns. We don't know, but we're gonna reach them. Just one more, just one more. Close your eyes, let me pray. Jesus, we love you, we love you, we love you. And our conversation today, it's not about Restoration Church, it's about Jesus, it's about you, you who were crucified, you who rose from the grave, you who returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, to anoint us, to embolden us, to share your good news across the world. In a short time, it went from 120 believers to over 2 billion Christians around the world alive today. Jesus, you are changing lives. And we don't have to look very far, but in the same room that we're in to see someone who is so far from you, who someone was praying for, but now they're a follower of you and they're becoming like you. Jesus, you want to do that over and over and over again. It is your heart. It is why you came. It is why you've not yet come back because you are waiting for one more person to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I just pray in our services today that there are people today who have never made that decision to follow you to be a part of you for some reason some worm got in the ear that says disorganized religion is bad and and they've they've never they've just never investigated it further because they just thought disorganized religion is bad or organized religion is bad but we are assembled together to share and preach the good news of jesus in dover in bethlehem in milton in plymouth and around the world And a partner with other churches who are faithfully preaching the truth of God's word in Dover, in Plymouth, in Milton, in Bethlehem, and across the world, across New Hampshire. Helping everybody to hear that Jesus is good, that Jesus saves, that Jesus forgives, that Jesus loves you and wants you. And anybody here who's never believed that, because they've never understood how Jesus is good news. they'd hear it right now and they wouldn't even just hear it with their ears but all the way into their spirit man they'd hear it as they recognize I've never understood Jesus this way they would tell you that and they would pray a simple prayer to you Jesus I believe in you Jesus I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me Jesus today I decide to follow you And when they do that, we thank you, Jesus, that they have received the good news. They have been saved and forgiven and given eternal life. And they are now part of the church called to reach just one more. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.